Welcome into the Nebraska 247 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer. I figured Brunts would be hosting today or at the, uh, the Nebraska 247 North offices, but he remained silent, joined by both Brunts and BC. I gave you coffee and water. What else do you want from me? Well, I thought that you would host the, the podcast. It's not like a roving thing. This is your deal. Oh, okay. Well, I've got a deal now, so that's <laughs> exciting. Be sure to add that to my resume. Yep. How are you guys doing? Good. I was uh, excited to learn that we're quickly trending in uh, Austria, the podcast. We're, we're, we've gone worldwide. Really? Big, uh, big, apparently a big uh, contention of Husker fans in Austria. So, Was that one of the places you visited? Did you spread Nebraska 247 knowledge out I, in Austria? I did not. Might have to go now with the... Uh, just the, the clamoring for more Husker information that's apparently happening. Go be a local celebrity in Central Europe? Yes. I could be the Hasselhoff of Austria. Any thoughts on this, Brian? Um, I think we could make that happen, probably. Take it on the road. Yeah. A couple speaking <laughs> engagements out there. Yeah. <laughs> we do some road podcasts. I like this. And just set up in different places in the country. And out of the country? I don't see why not. Yeah, well, we've got an unlimited budget, so that certainly helps move things along. All right, we are 10 days away 10 from days. Nebraska football. That uh, that feels like it's coming up fast. Nebraska finished up fall camp last Friday. They are, I guess, just in regular preparation practices, though there wasn't a ton of Arkansas State talk amongst the players that I was chatting with yesterday. Where do you uh, where do you think this team is at right now? Ten days away from the, the start of the season. I think <clears throat> I think that I'll start with the defense. I believe the guys on that side of the ball are very eager for the public to see what they see every day. Um, I, th- I I just think they think they have a lot of curveballs they're going to throw at offenses. Um, a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, players that we have heard about, but we don't know what they can be, who um, I think they think are going to be pretty good, whether that's the outside linebackers like Newby and Gifford or a guy like Chris Weber in the middle, um, even some young guys like DeAndre Thomas. You're hearing a lot about from veteran players as a guy who could contribute some snaps. So there's just a there's an eagerness on that side of the ball and definitely a buy-in to what Bob Diaco has been been pre- preaching and uh, I think now it's to that point like let's show everybody what we think we have. Do you what so of the kind of what they can show I mean what what are you most interested to see I guess once they they actually get going because I it feels like I agree with you totally that there's certainly excitement and a ton of buy-in, but I mean, what are you kind of curious to see when I'm they int- actually get out there? I'm interested to see how and where they generate pressure from, because I think that's a, a fair question to ask, you know, because people especially look at the defensive line and they say they don't have that Randy Gregory type guy who's just going to be a menace just by himself, and so it's okay for a skeptic to say I don't I don't know where they're gonna, they're going to get the heat on the on the quarterbacks from and how does it work in this defense and I just I just think it's going to be interesting um, the different ways Diaco brings pressure um, that maybe aren't even traditional as we would think about yeah I'm, I'm kind of with Brian along those same lines there's there's some wrinkles that I want to see what some of the sub packages are going to look like when it's a third down 
who's on the field for that front. Is it a two-man front? Is it a four-man front? Does Alex Davis come down and put his hand in the dirt? Uh, what's Luke Gifford doing on a, on a given play? I mean, I, I think that they've alluded to a lot of wrinkles that this defense has that they can throw in, some curveballs, some different looks to give the offense. Mike Cavanaugh talked about how he's already been pretty impressed by what that front can do in terms of confusing an offensive line, uh, even a veteran one like what Nebraska has. So I, I think that those are the, the kind of things that I want to see out of the defense. I mean, going back to, to Brian's sort of initial point of the eagerness, I also think there's a lot of confidence that these guys feel like they've got something that they know is going to work, and, and that is a lot of the guys. I mean, the defensive line in particular, the, the Davis twins, and then you have Freedom. I mean, they, they really like what they've got on this defense. And then Alex Davis even yesterday uh, – Feels pretty comfortable and confident that 10 days away, he's going to be really making his debut um, in a meaningful way at that cat position, and he feels comfortable where he's at with that. And so uh, I'm curious to see if that translates or if that's just, you know, fall camp talk. Concerns? I mean, that's a lot of Kool-Aid. I mean, what what are still concerns that that you guys want to see that are there and, and, you know – I mean, one for me would be cornerback, I think, um, and kind of how that's going to look. But do you guys have any other, I guess, concerns that, that you want to see, you know, if your your hunch is, is confirmed or not? I mean, obviously the middle of the defense you want to see, you know, where Mick Stoltenberg is at and how many snaps he's able to take. He was out for the concussion protocol here for basically a week last week. They've also been saving some of the bullets a little bit in terms of of drill work. He hasn't been doing a lot of that. You haven't seen him in a whole lot of one-on-ones. They're saving him, and they, they want to get the most out of him during the regular season. What does that mean? What does it look like? Uh, so there, there's a little bit of concern there, because right behind him, um, you've got you know Khalil, and you've got Peyton Newell, and then you have DeAndre Thomas, and maybe even Damian Daniels. I mean, there's a lot of inexperience, a lot of guys that haven't played a ton of snaps that you're going to be counting on to provide those reps when he's off the field. What does that all look like? I mean, that that's a a pretty big concern because you need that nose tackle to be the point of your defense. A lot of things operate off of that. He's got to fill up enough space, enough gaps to get those linebackers free to let Chris Weber and Dedrick Young go to work. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> I guess one of the things is, is just what is that middle of that defense going to look like? Yeah, my three concerns are cornerback, nose tackle depth, and the cat linebacker spot. Even though Alex Davis, as was said, is, is feeling good and confident, it, that's such a tough job that he has and Cedric King has if, if he gets snaps there. Um, not just getting pressure on the quarterback, but being the type of guy who's good against the run, then being the type of guy who's good in coverage. That's so much to call on of a guy who has not played much college football. So that's a worry. I think the nose tackle spot, because of what Schaefer was saying with Stoltenberg, and, you know, he has had surgeries, and it's a long season against a lot of big people, and, you know, hopefully Mick is good throughout, but even if he is healthy, that's a position where I feel like you need two other guys, maybe, who can give you some solid snaps every week, and... You know, maybe they have that, maybe they don't. Um, Peyton Newell's a guy who could help, or he could be at end. I mean, he can do a lot of different things on that line. DeAndre Thomas is obviously really an interesting guy. But, I mean, I never thought a true freshman would be able to play right away at nose tackle. I I didn't think that would happen. 
Um, so if it does, that says a lot about DeAndre Thomas, but it also tells you there is some depth worries there. And then cornerback, how are those guys going to react when they get beat? And they are going to get beat. And is it going to be a deal where they come back the next play and they're confident like you're supposed to be, or they let one bad play snowball into eight bad plays? The, I guess I'm, I'm really curious to see, and I think this is going to be one area where Diaco should shine a little bit with scheme and what Nebraska can do, is inside inside the, the, red, the, the red zone, what can they do to create issues for teams? Because, you know, Mike Riley said keeping points down, big plays are a little bit more random, um, so that it's a little bit tougher to do. But I, I just feel like the defense can really kind of make life hard on teams because of the way they can scheme and bring pressure. And uh, I'll be curious to see right away if they have success with that because that's going to be huge for – a team that I think is going to be playing a lot of tight games mm-hmm. this year. Uh, I mean, just you know, forcing a field goal instead of a touchdown, those kinds of little things. Um, and and I, I guess my concern still is, you know, Alex Davis, Cedric King at that cat spot. We, we really don't know on either of those guys if they're going to be able to make that transition well. I mean, is there somebody else on the team that's kind of waiting in the wings? I don't, I don't think so right offhand. But, um, you know, those guys are going to have to perform right away. And, you know, we, we don't have a real big body of work to go on with those guys. Yeah, let's uh, let's switch this over to the offense. I mean, using the same question that Bruns posed, what would the concerns be that you have, if any, uh, regarding Nebraska's offense, you know, right at this moment, heading into the first game here in 10 days? Well, I mean, it's always going to start on the O-line, I think to answer this question with Husker football because people around here, um, especially those of a certain age, think of O-line play as being a certain way and there's a certain caliber um, that it's supposed to be. And there's just been this disappointment probably for 10 or 15 years in just how inconsistent it always is. And it's the long search that Nebraska, if they want to become a championship team, win the division, they must figure out. And... On paper, I really like this O-line a lot. Like, there's a bunch of guys who um, were widely celebrated when they signed, have been in the program three, four years, and now it's time to, you know, mesh together and be that group where it starts right off the bat in games. I think that's what people want to see, especially against Arkansas State. They, they want to, when this game starts... You know, and Nebraska's running the ball. It's not a deal where you feel like they're slamming their head into a wall and having to get creative in, in how to get yards. It's a deal where if they want to line up and run the ball in the first quarter, they get four or five, and then that becomes six or seven later in the game. And that that's what has to happen with Husker football. Um, that group seems to be confident, but you you also hear these things, you know, from Mike Cavanaugh occasionally. Maybe it's just coincidence on the days where he's talked to us. They've happened to have bad practices, you know. So there's just enough there where you're like, I don't know, you know, with that group. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and they're going to get an, an immediate test. I mean, Arkansas State's defensive line is pretty good. It's made up with some transfers of some SEC programs, including uh, former Alabama four-star D-liner with uh, just one of the most terrific names for a defensive lineman 
possible, really. But uh, he's going to be right in the middle of all the action there and the the inside. And I, I think you're right. I mean, the the offensive line is, is sort of the big the big question mark uh, on the offensive side, and you covered quite a bit of that. I mean, I. This isn't going to, I think, pop up right away, but I mean, I kind of want to see what that wide receiver rotation looks like, how deep that goes, if they're comfortable, you know, with Gabe Ron and Connor Young getting 10, 15 snaps a game. I mean, I, I'm curious how that plays out. Um, they've been fortunate, in my opinion, with, with, you know, injuries really haven't struck that group at all this fall camp. Uh, and that's one of those things that we've kind of seen. And there's Brunts knocking on the table. Uh, to, to try to save everybody's knees. I mean, we don't have BC over here promising <laughs> game-changing injuries. Yet. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that, you know, that's that's been one of the, the good things from this fall camp, um, especially for the, the wide receiver group. They've been able to stay healthy, and that's going to be important. And I want to see, you know, with DeMorne Pearsonell, kind of what he can give them. I, I feel confident what Stanley Morgan's going to be uh, and how he can help them out and in those ways. And obviously, Tajon Lindsay could be very – Exciting, but that wide receiver group is going to be a key uh, for for Tanner Lee, who I think I don't think any of us are concerned about Tanner Lee, but I I mean he's got to be able to have the players around him that can make those plays to to elevate Nebraska's offense. I don't think I'm as concerned about the skill guys as maybe I was, you know, mid spring or the, yeah. uh, even even at the start of fall camp. I think the line is probably still. A big question mark. Brian hit on pretty well. I, I there seems to be more depth. I think they've got the second group that's a little bit closer to the first group. That you know they do have a, a situation. That just like, means the first group is going backwards. Yeah, across. yeah. yeah. It, Don't you understand how this works? Yeah, I know. Um, when the defensive line looks good during a fall camp, it's because the offensive line is bad. That's that's the logic of uh, fall camp. If Tyjon Lindsay catches a deep ball, it's because Lamar Jackson can't cover anyone. That's. You, you hit it hit it pretty well. Have you considered joining a message board? I, I thought about it. Um, is there any uh, any deals, anything going on, any way that I can be a part of this? Perhaps we can hit on it at the end. Um, I I think that you know the the line and, and kind of how they, if they have injuries like they did a year ago, I, feel, I have more confidence that they have people to step in. But the the tackle spot is a little scary depth wise. Um, you know, it's just you know a matter of whether or not they can they can run with consistency. Because I thought last year at the start of the season they actually ran the ball pretty well on the ground, and then the bottom kind of fell out when they got to conference play. So we'll see. How deep do you think? Okay, if you were to put a number of guys that they actually feel comfortable with, like actually they could actually play in a game. Yeah, how big is that list? It's not as big as some seven. people. Yes, I think seven. Mm-hmm. I think the five they the the top five plus Bo Wilson plus Michael Decker. Right that was, now. That's what I would say. Yeah, I mean you you lack the the outside guys that you feel super confident in. Um, they're moving some people around. Brennan Hymas, they're very excited about, but they're not. I mean, you're not in a position where you want that to be your left tackle for an extended stretch. Right. Really, ideally, they want to redshirt them. Uh, so I it's. You're right. I, I think that they, they feel good about some of those guys behind them. Almost to the point where I wonder if somehow Bo Wilson is going to get a little bit of you know reps, but then they don't really rotate, so that's that's out. <laughs> should uh, talk about that in, on your I message think we board. Can, we can, on my message, am I starting my own one? <laughs> the one that you're going to join Oh, to, to drop your hot takes. That's fair. 
Seven's not a bad number, though, because the first year of the Riley era, it was five. Maybe not five. Yeah. <laughs> they felt real comfortable in. Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, I think that really past the offensive line, and then you kind of nitpick with the wide receivers and running backs, but it's just it's crazy how you flip kind of where everybody was going into the spring, like all the concern about the offensive personnel to now it's just all the questions are back on the defense again. I don't know if it's just there's enough time that everybody's able to talk themselves into circles or what. It is, I mean, that first game is going to be really interesting, I think, with Tanner Lee because you've essentially had round-the-clock hype on the guy. It's Is that different than run the ball? Uh, yes, a lot. Uh, is there, like, I just kind of wonder at what point, like, does, does Tanner Lee live up to the expectations in that first game because when he's got two Heisman's a Big Ten Conference Championship ring a playoff appearance and the number one pick after beating Arkansas State yes yeah I, I like what could he like what is going to be what, what is he going to have to do I guess to live up to that hype in that first game complete about 75% all of them <laughs> which you know, if his receivers drop one, it's his fault. It should have been more gently placed. Uh, the thing people need to probably be careful with, and I'm pretty big on Tanner Lee, but they might have to slow their roll even at, <laughs> after that opener. I, I mean, just think back of your recent Husker history. Tommy has had some pretty good openers. Tommy did. Um, Taylor Martinez, I remember against Southern Miss the one year, came out. That was the year when he t- said he was going to – make his completion percentage jump to like 70% or something. And his first game, he actually completed like yeah, he, 78% or yeah, something. He was pretty close for yeah. a couple games. And then that Southern Miss team went 0-12, I think. Yeah, they weren't very good. It tur- turned out, once talked to one of the Husker coaches, said they had never seen a defense on film that looked so bad. Like, <laughs> guys were just like running in. Guys were running into each other and had no idea what was going on. I can't even remember who Southern Miss head coach was that year. But Well, they were trying to replace Larry Fedora, weren't they? Hadn't he moved on yeah, that year before? And the, and the guy was there for one year. But that's probably more talk than anybody wants about Southern Miss football. But, yeah, I, I think Tanner Lee... I expect fully expect him to come out, complete a high percentage in the opener, and have this state on fire for a week. And then there's going to be that big test in Eugene, where like if if they go out there and light it up, even if Oregon is a defense that's not very good, um, this thing's going to take off like a I don't know something Things that, that takes off. off really <laughs> high in the sky, like a runaway, like a runaway high. I was going to say a, a rocket, but I, I, that seemed kind of cliche, so I just went with things that take off high into the sky. I, I was curious. <laughs> I just looked up Sam Keller's debut numbers because um, I mean that's got to be like the most unknown guy that had a little bit of hype behind him in recent memory. Fourteen of twenty-five for one hundred ninety-three yards, a touchdown, and a pick, pick and, six, and a fifty-two uh, ten win over Nevada. In case you're you're wanting a kind of a a bar to compare you, Lee to, can you let us know how many of those completions were to Marlon Lucky on that particular day? Uh, I lack the technology to do that. He threw a pick six that I, I believe Nevada was actually ahead. You know who else? I believe Colin Kaepernick was on the field for Nevada. That that's day. I believe that's true as well. Mm-hmm. But that was just really setting the table for his 36 for 54 performance for 389 yards against uh, USC later that year. So yeah. things got better after a tough win against Wake Forest. Yep. 
So, anyways, that's enough rehash of the Sam Keller era. Um, the Notable era. So, we'll segue a little bit because i kind of talking about defense. Uh, we, we had the very sudden rise of DeAndre Thomas and Damian Daniels in the last week, which I, I suppose we should probably spend some time on. Uh, we saw Thomas and Daniels in somewhat of a scrimmage situation. What did you guys think of those two guys? And do we see both of them, one of them, none of them? What, what, give, give me the breakdown there. I think you see at least one. I think Thomas is almost guaranteed to play this year. Um, but Damian Daniels has certainly uh, come on strong. And he fits more of the, the nose tackle body type than DeAndre Thomas does at this point. I mean, there's probably a 50-pound difference between those two guys right today. Uh, and that's, that's pretty notable when you're asking a guy to basically get his butt kicked by three offensive linemen on every play. So, um, what, what I found interesting when I've talked to different people about DeAndre Thomas is they've sort of described him as like uh, a weapon that Bob Diaco can use in certain situations where his he's extremely quick off the snap. And because he's a little bit lighter, he's a little faster, and he's got tremendous hand punch. He's able to get guys off balance with a combination of his quickness and how fast he can hit with his hands. And so then if he's able to, to rip through, I mean, he could be somebody in particular, you look at an Oregon game where their offensive line is usually a lot smaller than what you're going to face, um, you know, throughout the, the Big Ten play. He could have more value in that Oregon game when you're trying to have maybe a little bit lighter of a line because uh, they're going to try to play fast and you don't want someone slow and plotting and, and everything else. And I, I think that he could be used in, in situations, whether it's third down or, you know, second and long, you get him on the field, you have that opportunity to, to let him try to knife through a little bit. Um, so I, I think Thomas is going to play. I could see where Daniels does play. I think they both are going to have some level of roles. And if anything happens to Mick Stoltenberg, it's only going to increase what they're going to end up doing. I have a question for both of you guys. Because I remember when the Super 6 list came out, and I think both of you had him number one on your yeah. list, didn't you? Of the everybody in the recruiting class last year. Is that accurate? I had him at one. I don't Why know. Why was that? Um, for, right me, for me, a lot of it is kind of what I talked about is that you see on film, I mean, he's a pretty violent lineman. And he can, uh, he can do a lot of things to, to help you win a game. And, and I just think that his athleticism, you can see it with his, his ability to get guys off balance and then finish through. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm not doing a great job of explaining this. Well, he, he reminds me, this is maybe putting too much on a kid's shoulders, but when you hear coaches and people have seen him up close, he does remind me of Malik Collins in the way that like you just knew he was going to be good. Yeah. Like You just knew he'd be effective for this team right off the bat. I think he's another Carlos Davis. I don't know. And Carlos Davis didn't play as as a freshman, but that's kind of how he reminded me mm-hmm. you know, on film. And, and Carlos Davis, and not so much Khalil, but Carlos especially reminded me a lot of Malik Collins. And they just they all have that similar body type. They're all fast. And I think that's kind of the thing that um, and Mike Cavanaugh talked about this when talking about one-on-ones with Khalil, or with Carlos Davis and with with DeAndre Thomas. They're so quick once that play starts that it puts extra pressure, especially in those one-on-one situations, 
Uh, and it's just one of those things that I like about him is his quickness. And then you combine it with, like, you can see actual power. And you're seeing it generated by a guy, and, and it was the same again for Carlos Davis. Emily Collins, who wasn't, you know, 300 pounds when he arrived on campus, they have that ability to drive with their hands and hit quickly. And you throw the off balance because of how quick they can be. And then that they can finish guys with, with their hand movement. Uh, those were the things that jumped out to me. And then the fact that I thought with DeAndre Thomas, and I think that this is something that's going to be fascinating over his career, Nebraska stays in a 3-4. I don't necessarily think he's going to be a nose tackle for his entire career. Mm-hmm. I think that this is a guy that you can move around to either of those spots, whether it's defensive end or whether it's, it's nose tackle, and he's going to be able to give you uh, a lot of production. Interestingly enough, I just went back and looked at the Super 6. Uh, DeAndre Thomas was 6th overall in the composite yeah. for people that year. I didn't even put him on there, and that was a, I'm pretty sure. I don't want to say, I, I don't want to toot the horn too loudly here, but he got two first-place votes. Two of them are sitting at this table. <laughs> I know. And yet you let me join your team. And here you are. We've been bringing him for recruiting. <laughs> Or player evaluation. I won't, should have plagiarized your guys' list. Do you, do you know who your number one was? <laughs> it was Damian Jackson, I think. Oh. <laughs> um, I did not have a super six that at this moment is shining, I think. What it, what was it? Your, your super six was, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start from the bottom and go up. Your sleeper was Ben Miles, which was, a, uh, I think, a very inspired pick. Uh, you had Brendan Hymas at number six. Damian Daniels at five. Pretty good. Doing well. Tristan Jebbia at four. Very nice. I I like the way this is shaping up. Avery Roberts at three. That's that's good. I like that. Tajon Lindsay at two. He's going to play. Be a difference maker. And Elijah Blades at number one. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it was. The the funny thing is, of every name mentioned there except Blades, all of those guys could play this year, conceivably. It it, It sounds like a good class. As you say those names, it... It puts in perspective. And if Blades had shown up, I, he would have played this yeah. year, too. Oh, here, yeah. Here, and, and some credit to the media here. Um, the, the Super 6 composite, Lindsay was number one, Avery Roberts was two, Elijah Blades was three, uh, Jebbia four, Daniels five, DeAndre Thomas was number six. So On the strength of our 12 collective points. Yeah, we, we, were, we were driving that Thomas bus before it was fashionable. What was yours? DeAndre Thomas at one, Lindsay at two, Roberts at three, Hymas at four, Blades at five, Daniels at six, and Chris Walker is my sleeper. I'm play, playing the long game there. I think there. when it's all said and done, <laughs> if I were to redo it, DeAndre Thomas, Jebbia, and Avery Roberts, I think, are the three. Well, Lindsay, I mean, geez, that's... Yeah, it's a, I mean, it, it's a tough one. I think, and and we've heard rumblings. I mean, I think that the staff is pretty excited about some of the young talent. That was going to be my next. That was the question I was going to lead to. Um, so, to to cut you off, you're yeah, feel free, <laughs> pull the rug out. So this guy's a Toronto Blue Jays shirt on. Let him talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to make no sense to anybody. Yeah, I actually wear a Toronto Blue Jays shirt. Uh, so the. Which brings me to another point that I'll double back on. But, okay. Good. Um, Good. So, I forget if we talked about this in the podcast. Maybe we talked about it offline a little bit. But a big part of this team is going to be dependent upon the 2014 recruiting class, which was the previous coaching staff's last full class. 
when you look at 15, 16, and 17, and you look at guys in those classes who you say have a chance to help, are already helping, or, you know, do you feel like the staff has done a good job of evaluating to the point where you say that there's probably going to be a higher percentage of hits versus misses? Because to go off of the point that you were starting to make before I cut you off, I think Nebraska's staff feels pretty good about it. <laughs> yes, bro. I, I agree. Make, make your point. But but I, I, I think, do you agree with that? Because, I mean, we've heard yeah. that. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things that um, I feel like the two of us, and I can't speak for Brian, but I feel like, you know, at least in the message board setting, we've really kind of tried to hammer that home that these guys have done a terrific job in evaluation. Uh, I mean, it, it rose up in a thread earlier this week about uh, what battles has Nebraska won, and while going through the answers of who I feel like they have beat out other teams for, I threw in Brendan Hymas and DeAndre Thomas. Because I think both of those represent excellent evaluation work by Nebraska because they got in on those guys early. They got those commitments, both of them, in April of, of that cycle. They held on to them when teams with better proximity, I mean, Oklahoma, Texas, TCU, Texas A&M, uh, interested you know, in, in some combination of those two guys. Uh, and Nebraska was able to pull them both out of the South. I, I think that's a, a tremendous asset when your evaluation is good. I think John Perella is a tremendous evaluator. I mean, Guy Thomas is somebody that looks like he's going to be able to help out. You see what DeAndre Thomas uh, is possibly going to play. Uh, you have Damian Daniels. I think that, you know, if they would have ended up with Robert Porsche, he would have been someone that was going to be helpful uh, for this group. I just think that you look at what they've done in 2016, 2017, even, you know, the back end of 2015, going out and getting somebody like Muhammad Barry. He was a big target for Trent Bray. And they went toe-to-toe with some teams. They were able to win that battle, you know, against a Miami. Uh, and, and I think that that tells you that Nebraska is able to kind of see what they want in terms of athleticism, see things on film that maybe other teams are missing. And they're, they're not afraid to go out and stick their name to a kid, even if his doesn't have the highest rating. It's interesting that the 2016 class, when you kind of, if you basically divide it in half, Guys who would be more towards the bottom of that class just based on recruiting ranking. J.D. Spielman's one. He's going to help him this year. Uh, Trey Bryant, who I know 24-7 was a lot higher on him than what the composite would be. I think he was the number eight running back in the country, according to to 24-7. So uh, Jojo Doman, uh, another guy that would have played this year. Really good. Uh, Bo Wilson, uh, Jack Stoll. uh, You just scroll by him, but Ben, uh, Ben Still. Has been getting a lot of uh, run from the, the coaching staff. DiCaprio Boodle was the third lowest ranked guy in that class. Um, I mean, all those guys are in a position to help him, and you still got Lamar Jackson as number one in that class, which is kind of a no-brainer. He's going to start. So, um, you know, a lot of those guys that are a little bit lower, that Nebraska, I mean, even with Spielman, you know, Minnesota didn't really pursue him that hard. Um, and in Nebraska, it was kind of all in on information. Jeez, they're going to regret that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> And they they had a number of in-state guys that they offered instead of him yeah. that year, too. They wanted taller receivers. I was just basically. looking at the 2015 class because I have to remind myself of who's in what You need to memorize this, Brian. I should. It's got to be um, something you think about before you Okay, that class ranked 30th nationally by 247 Sports. So this is what a 30th-ranked class looks like in year three. Eric Lee is going to play, start. 
Jalen Barnett, who is a no-brainer to take, hasn't probably been what people thought so far at Nebraska, but Jordan Stevenson, okay, that was the one where you'd say this staff really uh, probably messed that up. Well, I mean, you, you wanted Jordan Stevenson, but it ended up being just a circus show that they probably wish had never happened. Two's up. Yeah, and, and Mike Riley commented on how you, you get in those situations where you have an opportunity to add a guy late and you don't feel like you go through the normal process. Right. We've seen, and Brunson and I know of several guys that Nebraska's pulled off of their board for you know character reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, that if they would have had the normal process with Jordan Stevenson, that's probably avoided. Levan Olson's not here anymore. Avery Anderson, um, four-star guy, hasn't played as much. He's trying to make a little run now at corner, so you can't close the book on him yet. Okay, then you get to Carlos Davis, uh, Khalil, Stanley Morgan, Gaylord, Aaron Williams. Um, Matt Snyder, Mo Berry, Tyron Ferguson, Alex Davis, Antonio Reed, Jordan Ober is giving them long snaps. I mean, that's uh, that's hitting a pretty high percentage when you name off those guys. Is Aaron Williams going to be the best player out of the 2015 class? No, Stanley Carlos. Morgan. Well, you can make Morgan a. Yeah, I think you'd make a strong case for Carlos Davis, probably. Stanley Morgan, Carlos Davis. I mean, Alex Davis is a guy who could just really take off too. Uh, Tyron Ferguson's had a good camp. Mo Berry, obviously. So, Ozigbo's in that class. Uh, that's a right now. You would say that's a pretty good looking class. When you talk to the old, I remember an old Husker coach from the Osborne days used to say, like, basically, you need one third of every class to be studs. You need mm-hmm. another third to just be those solid guys Hunch, that, that are going to give you something. And, the and then there's a third you're going to miss. Yeah. And yeah. if you do that, you're pretty good. And that right now. Under that f- format of thinking, the last two classes have been pretty good. Yeah. No, I I completely agree with all of that. And like I said, I mean, I think it goes back to a testament of their evaluation skills and their willingness to, to put their neck out and take guys or to, like I said, offer guys early instead of playing the waiting game of seeing who else is interested because there's higher rated people. It's got to translate to wins for this ultimately to matter. But I think that they're headed in that direction. Definitely. Uh, I guess we could segue a little bit to some recruiting talk since we're already halfway there. Um, yeah, how about this 2018 class? <laughs> I solicited a, a couple board topics, or a couple t- topics for the podcast for the board. One of them, Micah Parsons. Uh, never heard of him. Never heard of him. Uh, he's apparently an okay linebacker from... Uh, Pennsylvania from yeah, some township up there. Yes. Um, what he's said he's going to visit Nebraska, likely for the Wisconsin game. Um, what where do things going to stand for Nebraska with him? I mean, do you, do you feel like Nebraska's in the mix a little bit more than maybe what people think? Yeah, I mean, I I think that Nebraska is certainly in the mix. I struggle with trying to figure out how close they are to Ohio State, who's a presumed leader, while also recognizing that a guy that's an hour and ten minutes away from State College is going to really pass up the opportunity to go to Penn State when I think that there could be a playoff team this year would be pretty remarkable. Uh, I don't know the the relationship soured there. It seems like something happened, just based on the way that that Parsons responds or reacts to Penn State whenever they come up in interviews. 
But he certainly has a great relationship with Nebraska. They did a really nice job recruiting him. He loved the camp. He loved the fact that he was the star of the show. I mean, there's no doubt about that. It, it, it certainly reached a certain part of, of any recruit's ego. There's no no question there. And he has, you know, a couple recruiters in Trent Bray and John Perella that are pretty relentless guys. I mean, those are people that can get involved and, and go after uh, recruits and really give Nebraska a chance. And so I, I think that you throw all of that combined with Mike Riley, combined with, you know, Brendan Bradley-Hiles, who has done a nice job recruiting um, Nebraska in terms of, of everything going on there. Meanwhile, as I'm trying to talk, Brunce is showing me an edit of, of Micah Parsons. 12, sec- wearing, 12 seconds ago, it just popped up. Which, which looks like a Miami Hurricanes jersey from the 80s? Yeah. Though it's got Nebraska, you know, markings surrounding it. I don't know. You'll, you'll have to find it yourself on the internet. Brunt's very Parsons excited about by this. far my favorite edit. By far. It's by far. <laughs> and this guy gets a lot of edits. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he does. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I, I think Nebraska is definitely in the top three. Um, could very, very well be number two. Uh, I, I think that... They would have to have, like I said, if they, if they go on a, a run where they get a 10-2 and two year and they're involved in the Big Ten West Championship chase or division chase and then the, the conference championship chase, they're playing in Indy, they've got a very real shot at pulling in a number of guys and, and Michael Parsons being part of that. And one of the things Parsons loves from day one, <laughs> that cat position would be basically his. And that seems ridiculous. But that's just how talented this guy is and how athletic he is. I mean, he's an 18-year-old kid in an NFL body. I mean, that that's essentially what he's working with at this point. And so I, I think that if Nebraska is able to pull him in, it would be the biggest recruiting win in recent history. Uh, would certainly have to probably go back to the early 2000s before you would find anybody that isn't a proximity-type win uh, to, to really compare it to. So... We'll see where they're at with, with Parsons, you know, going forward. I anticipate he makes a decision in early December. I don't think he's an early enrollee, um, so it may go all the way till signing day. But Nebraska's in, involved, and that's what you wanted. And you wouldn't have guessed that, you know, in, in early April. When he kind of emerged as a target, in part because of uh, Shaquan Anderson butts, actually, is, is really sort of how Micah Parsons became – um, more known to the average Nebraska fan because those two started tweeting about how they need to get out and see Nebraska and they're hearing good things about Nebraska and then it just built from there. It sounds like uh, Christian Tut. Can you speak on him a little bit? It sounds like Nebraska's in a good position. Well, it's... so not. They've got all of these predictions for Christian Tut and they have three commitments at what slated for cornerback already with Mario Goodrich and Chase Williams and Brendan Radley-Hiles. And I think originally this class was fine taking four cornerbacks, but then they recently moved Tony Butler from safety to corner. That depth at corner maybe looks a little bit better, having seen DiCaprio Boodle and Butler in fall camp. You've got Eric Lee, who would be a junior next year. So you can't overload that completely right. because you're going to, if you do that, and even with taking those three guys in Williams, Goodrich, and Radley Hiles, your percentage of somebody being unhappy and transferring goes up. If you take a fourth, it's going to get even a little higher. And so they have to be very comfortable 
uh, with doing that. And, I, and so it, it leads to this question where if they take five defensive backs, would they be fine taking five corners and one safety? Would they be fine or fine taking four corners and one safety? Would they be fine taking just five defensive backs and figuring out the positions? Do they want two safeties? Because you look at the safety depth, uh, you've got a lot of seniors and juniors. I mean, Aaron Williams and Antonio Reed are going to be graduating after the end of the 2018 season. Uh, you're, Kyron Williams and Joshua Kalu are seniors, so that's four. Yeah. And then you have Markel Dismuke and um, JoJo Dome, and that's your those are your six safeties right now. So it seems to me they probably need to take two in this class, and that's why you're seeing uh, you know Dallas Kratith, or Kratith getting that offer. And, and that's why you're seeing maybe Ashari Crosswell emerging as a bigger target mm-hmm. than Christian Tut. And I think that if they were to end up with those guys or really hit shoot for the moon and you end up with Talanoa, Hufunga, uh, it maybe helps their, their depth situation more than if you take someone like Christian Tut. But that's kind of where you get into the weeds a little bit in recruiting, mm-hmm. where everything looked like Christian Tut was going to be the next Nebraska commit. And now that they've had an opportunity to go through fall camp and you kind of look at what they have and you put those depth charts together, it changes things a little. Well, that's a good breakdown. And it, it's a good breakdown because it it does take you inside how everything is always shifting. Yeah, so it's much. fluid. I mean, it's just... People scoff at it, but it's true. Yeah, well, I mean, and your current, your current team is always affecting, like, moves, your, you know, it's changing what you're going to do when you get out on the road. And... Uh, Tony, you know, you bring up Tony Butler, Avery Anderson. Those are two guys who a lot of people at one point peg as safeties, and maybe they could still move back there. Tony Butler has that capability. But, yeah, I think a guy like Tony Butler changes everything about cornerbacks because he, he's done pretty well, and he gives you one more body over there, and, you know, next makes you feel a little bit better about where they are next year when they go into it. And he's played it. I mean, it's not like a new yeah. position yeah. to him. It was his high school so. position. Safety was the thing that he had yeah. to adjust to. He's an impressive-looking guy. Yeah. He's I mean, got a chip on his shoulder, too. He didn't like that nobody in that area, in Big Ten area, wanted him, but Nebraska pretty much. And I mean, he's legitimately 6'2", as well. I mean, if you can get Lamar Jackson Is going. Is he the biggest defensive back? Uh, I, Lamar. I'd say him or Lamar, probably. Yeah. I mean, Lamar's probably legit 6'1", 6'2". Is Kalu bigger? I don't think so. I don't think so either. He Lamar, Lamar yeah. and Butler are both guys, when you stand next to him, you're like, okay, that's how they're supposed to look, just like right away. Yeah. No question. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, if he could, you know, stick there, I mean, that certainly would bolster depth quite a bit beyond the three guys they've got and then give him somebody for the future. Yeah. Uh, something that happened after our podcast last week on Thursday, Nebraska lost a, uh, a wide receiver for the third time in this class, which is pretty remarkable when you think about it. They've had three D commitments. All three of them have been wide receivers. One of those came back to the class. The other two, and Eric Fuller and now Manny Allen, probably not as welcome to come back as, as Cameron Brown was. So it leaves them with two wide receiver commits and Jordan Moore, Cameron Brown. Uh, likely oh, Joshua Moore. Careful. My bad. Joshua Moore, <laughs> Cameron Brown. Um, with the, the likelihood that they would try to take at least three, certainly would like to get to four. The numbers allow them to get to four. They've got a ton of targets. We've already seen, you know, all of last week, early into this week, wide receivers setting up visits. You've got 
Jalen Hall likely to come out at some point, though he says it's going to be an unofficial, which kind of blows my mind that, you know, if he, they're willing to spend the money to come out unofficially when you're now into let the school take care of its season. Um, Jalen Hall, wide receiver out of Long Beach, Long Beach Pauly, um, six foot three, six four, big body wide receiver, played at Augustus Hawkins last year, friends with a bunch of the guys that are either in the class or involved in the class. Uh, so it's certainly someone to keep an eye on. Tommy Bush, maybe the most intriguing of Nebraska's visitors, I think, that have kind of been announced at this point. Uh, and I've heard a lot of things from different sources there to where UT isn't going to take them, despite the fact that they've got all of these predictions on the, the 24-7 sports crystal ball. Uh, they've got other wide receivers in their class, and so they're sort of full up to you know Baylor being the other alternative, but then talked with somebody earlier or over the weekend, and they basically said there's pretty strong talk that he's not even going to take an official visit to either Baylor or Texas, and it's pretty rare that a guy ends up at a school where he doesn't take an official visit to. Uh, so it it's kind of a fascinating situation with, with somebody like Tommy Bush, and that was a target of Keith Williams. I mean, when Nebraska offered Tommy Bush, it was like sandwiched around like Texas and Alabama Florida State, like all of those offers all came in at once. He was one of the first guys that Keith Williams really went after in the 2018 class, and you didn't hear much about him. And now all of a sudden, there's a lot of buzz. He's taking this visit. He's talking about how, uh, you know, he knows guys in parts of Nebraska's class because of the opening. He's heard good things, talks with Keith Williams daily. I mean, it's a, a situation where someone in that a lot of us maybe weren't considering to be that strong of a target all of a sudden becomes a very distinct reality here in, in fall. He's what every bit of six foot five, 190, 195 his, pounds. His film is maybe the most fun of uh, the wide receivers at Nebraska's recruiting because of his athleticism. And he's so big compared to some of the people that he's playing. He catches a ball on a wide receiver screen and he's truck sticking people, which is always you know a highlight to me when I'm watching the same thing <laughs> a thousand times. But uh, I, I think that, you know, keep an eye on him. Obviously, I think. Isaiah Crocker, somebody that's going to end up taking a Nebraska visit, conflicting reports on him as well as to whether Oregon, Oregon State, or even Nebraska is potentially his leader. So there's a lot going on. Uh, wide receiver recruiting, everybody's favorite position. Uh, Nebraska taking 20 of them in the class, always fun. They should recruit more. Yeah, always. <laughs> always. So, uh, you know, recruiting, uh, things, are, things are looking pretty interesting, and you've got more and more visits being scheduled by the day. Uh, when we talk at this time next week, we'll have a pretty good idea as to who will be visiting Nebraska uh, for the Arkansas State game. I think they're going to have a few official visitors because of that being a night game. Labor Day weekend usually sets up pretty well for them to get people out. Still Wisconsin going to be the big big weekend, though, you think? That would be my guess. I mean, I know that there's some scuttlebutt about Nebraska throwing a hoops party when Kansas is in town. Uh, in December, but I think that the majority of the people will come in during the season. You're going to see Wisconsin, Ohio State, big visit weekends, and then I think this Arkansas State game sets up well. I don't think you'll see as many people for Rutgers and Northern Illinois. Um, what other bums do they have at home? Do I have to show up for Rutgers and Northern Illinois? Uh, is that part of my deal here? You get a pick which one you want to go to. <laughs> okay. But you're not... You're not obligated to go to both. Okay, good. <laughs> really? I didn't know that. That's not true. No. You're going. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, um, 
I think that basically covers recruiting. We had talked about running through the schedule. Do we still want to do that on this, or do we want to save that for next week? I think we can save that for next week. Uh, well, um, we'll abruptly uh, go into uh, ejection mode here as we move away from uh, the, the 24-7 Sports Podcast, and I tell you about 247sports.com and specifically Nebraska.247sports.com. Always great content going up. Uh, we'll be getting into the game week schedule here very, very soon. Uh, even today, there's going to be some VIP recruiting stuff going up. Brunts might have some things on fall camp. Uh, BC working on some stuff from practices. There's always a bunch of content. There's a lot of stuff to see. Uh, over the weekend, we'll get you a little bit more prepared for the season that's coming up. And then, you know, Monday, we jump right into it. There's going to be the press conference. You'll have practice reports. You'll have all of that good stuff. Next Thursday, you can expect to see the official visit list who's coming out, who's going to be here for the Arkansas State game, and then it's going to be football season. We'll be into it. And there's no better place to spend your time during football season than Nebraska.247sports.com. Yeah.